Hello and welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. everybody thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the adventure games podcast i hope everybody is well this week matthew sagey burns the writer director and music composer of eliza joins me to talk about his game he also spoke about his career how he worked for first of all triple a companies including some of the biggest games out there and how he then went on to become an indie developer, and how he got together with Zachtronics to make this game Eliza. And of course, he spoke about this game in more detail as well, which was a really fun conversation. So I think people will enjoy it. So first of all, here is a trailer for Eliza, followed by our interview. So please enjoy. My name is Eliza. I'm a digital counselor. It'll revolutionize the entire field of mental health. There's a quality to Eliza that makes it superior to all the other attempts to do something similar. People who want to criticize us call it dystopian or whatever, but it's like any technology. It's a tool. It just suddenly came over me the way, you know, the way things are going in this world. These people around me think they can tell me how to act, what I'm supposed to do, and I'm like, yo, don't you know you have your own shit to deal with? Why do you have to pick on me all the time? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Who exist? Why? Like, I, I shouldn't even have come. This is, this is making me worse. You might be overestimating how well Eliza works. No intervention is perfect. But we have to try, don't we? Thank you for speaking with Eliza, your personal counseling partner. Goodbye. I'm here with Matthew S. Burns, the writer of Eliza, a game which we reviewed a while ago and which we really enjoyed. So I'm looking forward to finding out more about it. So hello, Matthew. How are you? Good. Hello. Um, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. It's uh, great to have you here. We um, to mentioned Laura reviewed the game for the podcast, I believe, a few weeks or a few months ago. And she really, really enjoyed it. Now, she said it can get a bit dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it can. I, I would say it gets maybe a little real. Uh, it gets dark in sort of a very real way, which I think throws people off sometimes. You know, they're not expecting it to be actually about real life um, in that way. Right. Well, I'm sure we can touch on some of those topics which, without spoilers, of course. But right. Um, but yeah, if, if Laura says it gets a bit dark, then it must be pretty dark because she says, <laughs> <laughs> she's not one to be, um, you know, so, you know, affected usually. But she, but uh-huh. she really enjoyed it. She said it was really well written, really well done. But she was like, oh yeah, no, it can get a bit tough in places. Just to warn mm. you, it's mm-hmm. it's a bit like mm-hmm. life. Life is strange. When I first started playing that, I thought it was going to be like a teen story with time travel, which it is. But that also gets very dark, which mm-hmm. kind of threw me again. Very good. But mm-hmm. um, but before we start talking about your game, Eliza, I was wondering if you could introduce yourself, say you know who you are or anything else you've worked on, and then what's your favorite narrative slash adventure games are. Sure. Um, 
So my name is Matthew Sagey Burns. Uh, I've worked in games for quite a while now, uh, close to 20 years at this point. I started out in working on the AAA game industry, and I worked on sort of big budget titles, um, not as a narrative designer or anything, but uh, just in the production department, um, in the sort of in the bowels of big companies and big teams. And then about 10 years into that, I tried to go indie. Uh, it didn't really make headway the first time. Then I went and worked at a university for a while. And um, now I am an indie. Primarily, I work with Zachtronics on making the Zachtronics like PC puzzle games. And Eliza was um, an idea that I brought to Zach as something that I wanted to do. And we did it as a Zachtronics game, even though it's very atypical for a Zachtronics game. Um, favorite adventure games? I guess I would have some... I would have some historical ones and then some modern ones. Sure, I think great. historically... Um, I think my favorite historical adventure game is probably Loom. The old LucasArts... Brian Moriarty game Loom. More um, my more recently, I think everybody's gone to the Rapture is one that I really really liked. That sort of walking simulatory one. Um, of course, there's you know there's always so many influences and and things that I that that I play that I enjoy. But the, I think those are two that kind of stick out in my mind as being influential. Yeah, I've I've actually never played Loom, which is kind of embarrassing considering <laughs> I, I did <laughs> adventure games podcast. I've played, mm -hmm. I think, just about every other LucasArts game, in, yeah. apart from I believe they made Labyrinth. I think they mm. made it anyway. But so I think Labyrinth and Loom were the only two games I haven't played, and I've heard some really good things about Loom. I know Thomas played it, I believe, and he really enjoyed it. And I know I hear a lot of positive things about it, and that's. That's where you play music, correct? That there's some music puzzles yes, in that? That's right. Yeah, you you learn these kind of sequences of notes. Um, it's pretty it's pretty easy. It's like three or four notes that you need to remember. Um, mm. But it's nice. It's just got a really nice atmosphere to it. You know, it has a has a great um, uh, world world building and and kind of uh, really evocative art. And I I really I remember really liking it. I haven't revisited it. Re myself recently but maybe i should do that yeah it's uh, it's it because i haven't really heard anyone say anything really ba bad about it i mean it's just i mean i don't think it gets as much attention as other maybe later lucasarts adventure games like you know monkey island data tentacle grim fandango right. but it's people who have played it they all seem to really really like it yeah and as he says it used to be for the atmosphere um mm -hmm. as well but i should really check it out because i've heard it's a short game as well um i mean maybe maybe if you played it before as a as a kid maybe it wasn't that short but <laughs> i remember i mean i did i did finish it which was saying something you know mm. for for me as a kid so i i think it, it is probably very finishable well i definitely yeah. have to to check it out and then <laughs> everybody's gone to the rapture is one that i've been Meaning to play, being, you know, want, wanting to get as well. But right. and that's one of your favorite modern games. Um, is there, uh, it, which uh, uh, you know, you mentioned it's a walking simulator exploration game, and mm -hmm. it's interesting because I, I mean, I really enjoy walking simulators for the most part. I think it's, I think it's kind of nice just to get into a game and not have to worry 
about having to solve puzzles or that you'd be stuck, that you just mm-hmm. go in and enjoy the story and enjoy the world. Um, but what is it about this game that you particularly liked? Well, um, so I know that this game is actually a little bit more controversial as opposed to like kind of the universal acclaim that uh, Loom gets. Uh, I think people, there were things that people didn't like about it, especially that like your walking speed was really slow and it was sort of uh, difficult to get from one end of the village to the other. And uh, it just seemed like, you know, not a lot was going on. But uh, I think maybe even similar, in a similar way to, to Loom, I really appreciated the atmosphere of it. Um, it has beautiful, beautiful music. Uh, it has really wonderful kind of environments and um, just sort of this very um, serene atmosphere, even though it's kind of post-apocalyptic in a way, like something terrible has happened, but it's very peaceful and beautiful you're in a small village in the English countryside. And so it's got that really idyllic sort of, you know, small English garden village. There's a little pub, you know, that, that kind of mm. atmosphere. And so even though it's a, it's a very sad story and a, a very strange story, it's, it's also like, I don't know. It's got this, it's got this really like, like I said, idyllic kind of um, atmosphere to it. And and that's something that I really like. I really like kind of atmosphere and, and the feeling that you get from from being in a in a place. Yeah, no, I've, I've, I felt the same when I was playing. I don't know if you played it. I believe you say Drogon. Drogon, Drogon by, um, by Red Thread Games. The guys who made The Longest Journey and Dreamfall. Oh, sure, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. was... It was in Norway, in a fjord in Norway. Right. Yeah, I've um, been interested in in that game. I haven't played that yet, but it looks it looks interesting, and it does look like kind of the, the sorts of things that I'm interested in in terms of like atmosphere and and the the feeling the feelings that you get from being in these in these places. Yes. No. I mean, after playing it, the first thing I wanted to do was go to Norway. So <laughs> it definitely worked out. I know that there right. had some issues with uh, with the ending, which obviously I'm not going to go into. But I think just overall with the voice acting and the music and just uh, you know exploring that setting, it again it made you feel like you were there. And I think that's one of the best things we can say about the exploration games or walking simulators is that that's you know it makes you feel like you were there, that you're just experiencing that. And For sure. Um, at least the ones that I've played, but um, I'll check out Everybody's Gone to the Rapture uh, sometime as well. I have it on my wish list along with uh, with the other 500 games <laughs> that I have. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, I liked it. I again, I just kind of found it very memorable and evocative. Mm. And, and... Oh well, I'll have to to give it a go. Yeah, now you mentioned that you worked for some AAA games before now I, I don't know if you uh if you were able to mention which games i know about the narrative designer but just out of curiosity um are you able to say which ones you worked on sure <laughs> yeah no i i, I can it's just okay funny. um so i started in los angeles when i lived in los angeles um at activision and i worked on some of the very early call of duty games 
back when Ooh. they were like World War II set games. Yeah, I didn't have any creative input on them. Like I was purely a, a production department person. So I was I was like trying to like get like make schedules and like try to make sure everybody had like resources, the, you know, the right resources and was working on the right things and, and stuff like that. Mm. And this was kind of like around when when Call of Duty was still early. It wasn't the massive juggernaut that it is today although it still was successful you know it was still a pretty big franchise as they call it um even back then uh and then i moved up to seattle here around 14 years ago i moved to seattle um and took a job with mike and i the same sort of productiony things but i did it on um the halo series so i worked on halo three and uh odst and reach and halo 4 as well um first as part of bungie and then as part of uh microsoft proper and that is when i around then is kind of the the time where i sort of was burning out from working on big triple a games and thought maybe i don't want to do that anymore and, and try to do other things but those are the two main um things that i did when, when i worked in triple a uh, two, two of the biggest properties, Call of Duty yeah. and, and Halo. It's, yeah, I, I, can, I, I can imagine. I mean, it, it's funny as you said, a particular Call of Duty is a big juggernaut. But then, I mean, I haven't played it, but I know Laura, I believe, has played it, and she really enjoy, enjoyed it, and she's playing Warzone now, which was just mm -hmm. released. Mm -hmm. But then, now, I, I believe this might be probably unfair, but also there, is it, what do you say? that right now maybe not when you were there right now it's kind of a series that people love to hate or kind of pick on it's an easy target like a triple a game big juggernaut and I believe when they had a trailer a few years ago it was the most disliked tr uh, oh, video sure, trailer, yeah. which, which i can imagine it's probably a bit unfair because i mean i know people i mean i, I have not played it first of all i've not played a series but from what i've seen of it it seems to be kind of like I'm sure there are worse games than that. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was thinking. I'm sure there are way worse games out there. Yeah, I think it's definitely a target, right? Because it's mm. a big, it's a huge, huge property, and and there's definitely a, a love to hate kind of aspects going on with a with a any big you know game like that. It's also just because it's so big, it's kind of impervious to like that sort of thing. Yeah. Like you know, <laughs> even if you people tried to brigade it like people would buy it and play it anyway so it's um it's kind of interesting to think about like something operating at that size i haven't i haven't really worked on a game of that that big in a, in a long time so it's it's hard even for me to imagine sometimes <laughs> <laughs> oh no i can i mean i can imagine it must be i mean one sense obviously is not good. I mean, because I, I imagine as well the people who are working on it, and even though it's a big juggernaut, I'm sure if people see it, they're like, "Well, I put a lot of effort into this." It's, um, but yeah, then again, the absolutely. game itself will still do well. <laughs> yeah, um, it's just a question of like how well it'll do, you know? Exactly, kind of like the the Star Wars or the Marvel of, of right. video games. Kind of like just how well will it do? How many copies will it sell? How many millions? Right. copies would it sell worldwide but then you you went to indie you said as well and how did you find because um i spoke to another developer who's kind of in a similar position she she had worked on a lot of triple a games but then she went to uh be an indie developer to work on well in her case adventure games and she said that was the most difficult stressful 
part of her life <laughs> working yeah. as an indie. <laughs> um, so just wanted to, to ask as well, again, before we talk about your work and Eliza, what was what was it like being an indie developer then compared to working for the AAA developers? So I I kind of uh, agree. It was actually a really tough uh, shift. And I, the first time I tried it, I didn't quite manage to pull it off. This was around 2012 or so. And there just wasn't as much indie stuff in the in the industry. You know, it was still kind of this this new idea that you could be an indie developer. And there there wasn't today there there are a lot of publishers who focus on indie games and there's kind of a, a pipeline for indie games that people uh, understand like how to market them and how to where to put them on your store and things like that but in 2012 you know that that was still when it was like you have to like know somebody at steam to get your game on steam and like you know you would tell people you're making a small game and they they would just be like what oh you mean like a game for cell phones like they wouldn't really (laughs) get like there wasn't really as much of a sense it was just starting um just the first big indie hits were were coming out around that time I think Braid came out in like 2009 and Fez came out some of those, some of those early ones anyway. um, So that was a little bit difficult because I was describing this very artsy game that I wanted to make and that I wanted people to, to give me for, and nobody really bought into the idea that the game was just going to be art and then people would buy it. I think looking back, that's probably a fair assessment um, because the, the, concepts that i was playing with were very very abstract probably to a fault and um not necessarily the best like commercial proposition um i also felt that like working in AAA and working in indie is is actually quite different and people who work at a big game studio for you know 10 15 years will quit and they're like oh i'm gonna just make my own game at home like i've done game development for so long i know how to do this but uh it's actually very very different um when you're working as part of a team of hundreds of people maybe even thousands of people you know if you work at ubisoft or something like that um and then just everything being your own responsibility it's a completely different sort of skill set and a completely different like uh, way of working. So I think what I was actually kind of surprised at how much it didn't carry over uh, from one to the other. Like, sure, I could do basic game development stuff at my job, but in indie, you you have to like, you're you're really responsible for everything, right? So, and that's a completely different situation than working on a big team and, and working with, with other people. So it was, it was tough and I didn't, I didn't end up making the game that I wanted to, and that's why I uh, got a job uh, in academia, which is the whole other, uh, whole other part of my career. Right. Yeah. So we needed uh, well to work as another job as well as so many other most other indie developers <laughs> as well. That's that right. I, yes. From what yeah. I've heard, but also at that time, 2012, because from what I remember, as you mentioned, there weren't that many indie titles on PC and on Steam. But from what I remember, it was just about to not take off, but get, you know, more popular, acceptable for indie developers, because there's also the time when Kickstarter was becoming more to the mainstream, especially after Tim Schafer um, made like three point something million 
uh, yeah. for his game. Now, things have changed since then because he just went saying, I want to make an adventure game. And he got three point something million. Whereas mm-hmm. now you nearly, you nearly have the game just about finished from what I see. Yeah, for Kickstarter. You need a demo, you need screenshots, you need a whole concept, you need to know pretty much. And so you at least you made the jump to indie, which was very brave of you. And I always <laughs> admire people because you have, you know, a stable job in, you know, these AAA companies, and then you make the jump to become an indie. Now, I've also heard from people who are working for AAA companies and who are indies who are saying that a lot of times for big companies that you do the same thing over and over. I think I heard from someone or about someone that for Assassin's Creed, that the only thing they did was design rules of houses in the game and that's the only thing <laughs> right. they did whereas um indie they said it's a lot more stressful but then they're a lot more creative so uh yeah just i mean i know you've already kind of answered that it was more challenging but in the creative aspect uh, how did you find being an indie um it's definitely a lot more you can jump around and and do a lot of different things and that that was something that was very valuable to me and that i wanted to pursue because I mean, I, I could probably, if I had stayed at Activision, I could probably still be working on Call of Duty today, which is strange to think about. But like, and and that would just get so, like, I'm the sort of person who really needs to be like trying new things and doing right. new things and, and moving around. And and again, like, like the, day, the job that I had wasn't creative uh, and it also wasn't necessarily interesting to me to move into a creative position on call of duty like i wasn't really interested in the kinds of creative uh decisions that are made on call of duty which is not to try to take away from the game but you know the designers are like oh well you could come around the corner and there are two enemy soldiers there and then a tank busts through the wall and then you know what if the germans blew up the thing that you were standing on you know those kinds of that's like the kind of design level design that goes into call of duty and which is fine um, but it's not my, you know, it's not, it's just not my thing. Um, I want to, I want to talk about art and music and mm. big issues and, and be the kind of, um, you know, be the person that I am in, in my creative work. So, uh, I, I knew at some point that I would have to be indie just to, just to even like explore the things that I wanted to explore, things that I, you know, wanted to do. Cause it was very, it was difficult or even impossible to imagine like a big company ever taking up that kind of that kind of thing oh i can i can imagine with a big company i think it's kind of nearly everywhere at least you know in film as well that you know if you're a big company big studio that it's harder to take risks that because there's so much more writing on it that they know what sells at least with call of duty and so if i can imagine if you say i want to make an arty game with call of duty with that franchise <laughs> they're like ah no <laughs> yeah no they wouldn't they wouldn't fly and, 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 and then before we go on to talk about the lies that the, the last thing about call of duty is i don't know if you saw conan o'brien when he was a clueless gamer his segment when he played one of the call of duties which was in lagos in nigeria with that section Oh no, I did. I haven't. I I enjoyed that segment, but I didn't see that particular I'll, one. I'll see if I send you the link afterwards. But it's very okay. funny because he's trying to cross the road, 
and he keeps getting run over by cars. <laughs> <laughs> and the character always tells him, cross the road, get to the other side. And then Conan is shouting, yes, I'm trying. <laughs> and, it, and, and then what, the twist at the end, he, he looks up at the character and then he sees that there is a bridge. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I'll send you a link and I'll put it up on the show notes because it's one of my okay. favorites. Um, anyway, back to back to you, Dan. So before we get to Eliza, I just saw that on your website that you have written many things, but some interactive fiction as well, as well as Eliza. Mm-hmm. One of them is an apology simulator. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what can you tell us about that very quickly before we get to the main event, which is Eliza, because that sounds, sure. that sounds very interesting to me. Yeah, Apology Simulator is a is one of my twine games. Um, during during when I worked at the university and after, I wrote uh, a few twine games uh, just to be creative and to kind of uh, explore different territory. Apology Simulator is sort of exactly what it sounds like. Uh, it's about apologies. Uh, it's about uh, the way people apologize to each other in in writing uh it's a series of emails um and i i I, the best way to describe it is i think for you to just play it it's a very short game it's a it's a free twine game but it's about email apologies and uh how we how we react to them and the language that's used in in apologies um you know the i'm I'm sorry if anybody was offended. You know, there's a certain <laughs> set of of words and and phrases that people use when they're apologizing for things, and it's and it's about that. So yeah, uh, I encourage you to to check it out. It's it's really short. I will. You can, yeah, play it very fast, and it's yeah, it's just right on my website right there. Yeah, because then there is the you know there, there are the sincere apologies asking for forgiveness, and then there. Uh, non-apologies that correct <laughs> that, <laughs> right as, as, as you mentioned i apologize if i offended anyone right which, that kind of which, that kind of stuff <laughs> which is kind of like you know what it happens with some celebrities or football players that they say mm-hmm. or do something dumb and mm-hmm. then they're kind of apologize but you can tell that they don't want to apologize it's like oh yeah apologize if I have offended people for those right. derogatory remarks. <laughs> right, right. But, oh, I'm curious to, to know more. And then there's another one is the writer will do something, which it says here it's about working in the games industry. <laughs> yeah. So the writer, the writer will do something is, um, that's another twine game that I wrote uh, with my friend Tom Bissell, who's, who uh, is a, another writer and he was a he was a writer for games when i was still a producer so he's been a writer for games for a very long time and um he and i wrote this sort of short story twine game together and it's about being a writer on a big budget game and it's uh that one is pretty harrowing i'll have to warn you that it's got a lot of like kind of strong language and and anxiety making situations in it where everyone is kind of uh, sitting around a meeting table yelling at you because you're the writer um but that that game kind of became became pretty well known in like game writing circles uh as kind of this exaggerated view on like what it's like to be a writer uh and trying to solve problems that exist in the game that you can't really solve. all you mm. can do is write dialogue you know if the problem is with the design of the game or the game's not fun, but you still feel like you have to try to like 
paper over those problems somehow in the writing and you can't really do it. And the, you know, the powerlessness that you feel uh, when, when you're placed in that situation. Sure. I, I, I can imagine, even though you mentioned it's exaggerated, I can imagine it must be pretty real as well. I've never been in that particular situation. Um, was it, I mean, I'm sure it's fiction, but was it based on maybe some experiences either you or you know of others have maybe had, or is it completely fiction that you wrote? <laughs> it's it's definitely based on on reality to the to the point that Tom was actually a little bit concerned when we released it that people would be mad at him, that his colleagues would be mad at them, <laughs> mad at him because because you know they would see themselves in these right. in these characters who are acting terribly uh, and and kind of portrayed in this not necessarily the most flattering light. And I I had some people come to me too and say. Hey, is that guy? You know, is is this character? Is he supposed to be that guy? And I was like, Oh no, I'm a, no, not re not like a hundred percent. I mean, sure, maybe <laughs> like maybe a a little bit, but not a lot. When you're when you sometimes when you write things that are close to you, you end up kind of putting maybe a little bit more than you you thought uh, from real life into. Them. So I would say, yeah, it's definitely. It feels real to a lot of people, like a lot of people in the industry who have played it, I think, feel that it really captures something um, about that. And that's definitely because it's based on reality. But there's no I, I do want to say, like, no, there's not really anybody that's just like it's a one to one like that character is that person. You know, we, we definitely uh, changed things around and mm. and exaggerated people's personalities. Right, but I think it can be an important kind of game as well because I, I mean, I've never worked in a game de de developer, but I have worked for some technological companies before, some big companies as well. And from what the outside looking in, I, I have heard and read some stories about just how crazy game development can get, and of course the infamous crunch. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, I know this is a whole other topic that we could spend hours on that mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. how the employees at game development studios are treated. Um, so I think something like this can be good to shine a light, even though if it's not 100% real, it's slightly exaggerated that I think because a lot of people going into game development, I'm sure think, well, it's so excited to get to make video games, but actually it's. Yeah, it's maybe not <laughs> not not as uh, as exciting. Maybe we'll see in six months. <laughs> right. Uh, so no, I look forward to playing that as well. I'll, um, I might never. I mean, from the interviews I've done with game developers, even though most or everyone who I've spoken to enjoys it and are passionate about it, I also can see how difficult it is. Um, and and then the last one I see is the Arboret Arboretum. There was a, it was written about at Rock Paper Shotgun as well, I think. Correct? Uh, yes. Yeah. It was. Says, uh, yeah, the Arboretum is a short story twine game from 2014, and um, kind of has an interesting um, parallel in its structure. Even though it's just a twine game and very small compared to Eliza. It has a, a kind of a parallel in structure to Eliza, which we can maybe talk about um, in a bit. Um, but right. that's just yeah. a short story. Um, the first that's like the first full twine game that I made and um, just tells a kind of uh, tells a story um, about 
developed uh, just a kind of like a a relationship uh, that that doesn't really get started, and then fast forward ten years or so. That's <laughs> that's all I'll say about that. Okay, so it seems to be like a pers- personal. It's kind of a there, it's right? a personal it's like a personal story. Problems, although it's th- yeah, that's not based on any. Uh, that's not based on reality. That one is a is a completely made up. Um, right. Fiction story that I wrote. Okay. Well, I think we've got a, some sort of sense of the kind of interactive fiction that you have written. So now we can finally get to Eliza, half an hour in. <laughs> <laughs> and now this was developed by Zachtronics. Now, right. as far as I know, Zachtronics are not known for making narrative games or you know adventure games or visual novels. So how did you get involved with Zachtronics and how did you end up writing Eliza for them? Yeah, so, um, so after I... Uh, left the university job that I was uh, working at, I started doing more and more work for Zachtronics Games. Um, Zach Barth, the creator, you know, creative director of Zachtronics and, and sort of leader of the of the whole thing. Um, I met him a while back, just in the being in the Seattle area and going to like meetups for developers, things like that, and. Over the years, I had contributed some music to his games and then started contributing some writing uh, to his games. And so I had done the music and writing for a few of his games uh, by that point. And one day he and I were just talking and I was like, oh, I've been working on this. Um, I've been working on this game about uh, being an AI therapist and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, oh, that's that's interesting. you know, do you want to do you want to do that game here? Uh, and you could use the artists and and some of the other stuff that we have. And I was like, oh sure, that that sounds that sounds great. So it's a Zactronics game, although you know it's it's very atypical for for uh, the studio because it's really more like my idea, and we did it as this kind of weird non Zactronics project completely different than the sort of the puzzle programming stuff that Zectronics is known for. Uh, but it was still made by us, by the studio. So we call it a Zectronics game, uh, even though it's quite, you know, quite different in terms of what the, what the game actually is. Right. Yeah. Because I, I see on one steam review, which I know you should take them with you know, p- pinch of salt, but one person said, this is the only Zachtronics game that I was able to finish because... The- right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's, uh, <laughs> many, many people have said that. I mean, the other Zachtronics games are pretty famous for their difficulty, actually. <laughs> and, um, you know, some of them are really just straight up programming. Like, you just have to do programming in order to solve the puzzles. And some people really like that. It's definitely a, an intellectual challenge, but the normal Zachtronic game is not for everyone, you know, uh, it's, it's, if you like programming challenges, then you can, uh, then you can solve them. But Eliza is a visual novel, so anyone can play it, you know? Yes. It's a, it's a, it's a big shift for Zachtronics. Again, it's very brave of them too, because they're well known for these puzzle games are challenging. And then they move to visual novel for the first time. And I believe it has been, successful at least creatively that it has won some awards so mm-hmm. congratulations on that 
And Thank you. I can see good, very good reviews as well. So, what if you could tell us then about the, well, about the the story then of the of the setup of the game? So, uh, I wonder if you could tell people who is Eliza. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so Eliza is, is a game of, yeah, it's a game about a um, an AI therapist. Uh, in takes place pretty much in present day Seattle. Uh, there a big there's a big tech company that introduces a new product called Eliza. And when you use Eliza, you go to, um, you go to a counseling center, uh, meet with a therapist and that therapist speaks with you, but they're not, um, they're not a licensed therapist themselves. They're just kind of reading prompts that are given to them by this sort of cloud AI system. They wear, they wear like a little, uh, glass or, AR headset kind of thing that that tells them what to say, and then they say it. Um, so Eliza is the name of this product, and so you know you go and talk to Eliza, and then Eliza is your therapist. And the game follows uh, a main character uh, whose name is Evelyn, and she is someone who uh, gets a job as one of these proxy therapists who has to read the lines from the AI uh, to clients. Uh, she also has a kind of involved with the creation of this Eliza system. And she basically is going to talk to people from her past and investigate sort of the use of this technology and then make a decision about what to do with the rest of her life. And that's, that's Eliza. Interesting. Yeah, there's a lot to... Uh, to take a part there. <laughs> yeah, there is uh, a lot to it. There seems to be a lot to the story. I mean, obviously, without spoilers, but it seems to be one of these games that you mentioned that you would not be able to make when you were making Call of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's pretty much the opposite of that style, that kind of game. It's it's everything. Yeah, they're completely, completely um, opposite it, in almost every way. But it's, it's a fascinating concept because now I haven't played many visual novels myself even though again i do adventure games podcast but it's one that i you know because i've always been interested to see what visual novels uh would i play to get me into it you know what are the good ones and Mm -hmm. with this one i find it a fascinating concept that it's Mm -hmm. um it's an ai who is a counselor that because it uh, it doesn't seem like at first you might think oh that's very far-fetched but then you think about it you think maybe not actually that could be the direction that we're going in if yeah. um, I mean, again, I haven't done any research at all <laughs> into this myself, but just thinking about like, this, you know, if you're talking to a machine and then it kind of computes what you say and then gives you right. advice. Like I don't, I don't think we're there yet, but maybe we are. I don't know. So how well, did you? Well, I'm I'll sure, tell are, you. Are, yeah, are we there yet? I'll, uh, I'll put that I'll, to you. I'll, well, because I've, I mean, I've done the research because uh, I did. You know, I, I did it when I was. Um, working on the script for the for the game mm-hmm. um i i think that we are absolutely headed there um there are already apps you can download for your phone that kind of take the form of chat chat bots that you that try to um like raise mindfulness or do cognitive behavioral therapy techniques on you and i tried a bunch of them and you know they're like rate how you're feeling and if you give a poor rating they're like oh tell you know tell me why you felt that way and 
here's how you can maybe try to reframe some of your negative emotions and, and things like that. So I, there are um, a bunch of startups that are already kind of vying to be in this territory um, in the sort of the larger medical health community. I think it's a, it's a, a known, it's a known thing that um, the need for mental health counseling is rising, but the number of, actual human therapists is not enough to, to kind of meet, meet the demand. And so there's a lot of uh, interest in these kinds of tools. Can we use, can we use digital tools for, uh, for mental health applications? So it's, it's, it's a real thing. I mean, I think the thing of like talking to an actual person and having the person read the prompts and things like that is a little bit uh, maybe far away or far-fetched, like maybe that it wouldn't exactly take that form, but um, the concept itself of just like automation of mental health and applying AI into it and things like that, that's, that's definitely out there right now. Mm. And, um, and in fact, Eliza, I, if I can connect it with, with some uh, history, Eliza is named after another program called Eliza from actually the 1960s. Um, the world's people call it the world's first chatbot. Eliza was a kind of a demonstration project made by a professor at MIT, and it was kind of a play psychotherapy kind of uh, chatbot. Um, and so the name Eliza is kind of a callback as well. Wow, okay. So you, you have done your research on everything, <laughs> including the name. <laughs> yeah. Which, um. Now, watching one of the trailers for the game, it starts with a quote from Carl Sagan, which unfortunately I can't remember the exact quote, which I should because I just saw it before we started recording. Well, it's a, <laughs> it's, it's a kind of a long, twisty sentence. Yes. But he, he basically says, I, I, I can foresee there being a place where you would like be computer terminals because he's talking and this is him in 1975. So he's like, mm -hmm. what if there were computer terminals where you could go and you could talk to a psychotherapist and it would only cost a few dollars because it's actually just a computer terminal, you know, like you would, you would uh, type at it or something like that. And he's just predicting the future. This is like one of his several predictions for what will be, what will take place in the future. But I thought it was really interesting that Carl Sagan of all people, you know, was, uh, was foreseeing this. Mm. Yeah, definitely. It's, I mean, I can, and then I wanted to to ask you, based on your research then and using the apps and then writing the story, I'm, I'm guessing that it's not completely positive in the game. <laughs> that, yeah. Uh, um, again, yeah. No, I have not played it yet. I do plan plan on it. But from your experience or from your research into this, because I was wanted to, to know, you know, what your thoughts might be. Because myself, with technology advancements, I think obviously they can be good, but then they can also be used for not so good. And it, it all reminds me of the quote from Jurassic Park, typical one, that just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> right, right. So uh, this could be one of those other things. I think that it, it could definitely help people, I think, who need it. And as you mentioned, there's not the demand is not being met for human counselors so something like this could be great but in your research then do you think that uh, well, again, I'll, I'll ask you then what what is your what are your thoughts on something like this being used now or in the future sure i think that like um 
Well, in the game, you'll see, and and I, I won't reveal too much, but in the game, different people have, the different characters have different viewpoints on this, right? Some people are believe that this is a this is a good thing the player are sort of taken on this journey where you see it sometimes working and sometimes not uh sometimes working very poorly i think that technology by itself isn't isn't good or bad right um Mm. it's it's really how how it's used and and how we're how we're deploying it i think that these kinds of things are are interesting and and certainly the potential is there for them to to help people but we are i think we're rolling them out very very fast um i've i've read about um like when a new class at a university starts uh they're just they're just told to install an app that like monitors their mental health and just asks them you know once a day to to check in on the mental health app and so People who are in school right now are getting these on their phones just kind of as a mandatory thing. Like they just have to have a mental health app uh, running at all times. And that's just, to me, that's like, wow, that's so fast. We're just deploying these technologies without really stopping to think about, you know, what are the, so what are the good and bad aspects of these and, and what's the right way to use this technology? Uh, instead, we're just kind of like rolling it out for everyone. Uh, immediately and th- and that's where I, I kind of start to say well i let's ho- let's hold on and and think about all the different dimensions of this and kind of test it out first right yeah to test to test it out do we need it is it dependent being used correctly hmm. yeah exactly is it being used correctly are we thinking through uh, all the implications of this yes exactly and i suppose that right now with many apps and all, I suppose there are some privacy concerns as well. Like, are what are they doing with your data? What are they doing with right. your information? <laughs> Who are Absolutely. they sending it to? And, right, exactly. And that that comes up in a, in the game as well, which is just like, this is probably pretty sensitive information considering you're revealing mm-hmm. all your deepest insecurities <laughs> to this bot. You know, you're saying things that you wouldn't even want. You, you you might not even want your friends, your closest friends to hear. You, you're kind of revealing the the darkest parts of the cloud, you know, and sits on a on a server somewhere, a Google server or an Amazon server. Um, that's something to think about as well, right? Definitely. Yeah, it's, uh, it's <laughs> again, it's kind of funny how we don't really talk as much to our friends about as you mentioned, our deepest, darkest secrets, but we're willing to talk to a machine. And I mean, like in real life as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or we just share now on Facebook or Twitter, we say some very personal things, how we really feel. And then like, and I take you, people who say, and write these things on Facebook and Twitter, would they really say this in real life to one another? It's uh, yeah. kind, of, kind of like, yeah, a, it's different. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the context for for sharing that kind of stuff can can really change. It's really interesting to see. Like you said, some sometimes people will really want to divulge something on Twitter that they wouldn't say. Like you, it's very hard to imagine them saying in real life, like to another person. Uh, but somehow it, Twitter makes it possible. Yeah, which is weird because more people will be able to see what you write. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's in the game then. Now, when Laura's reviewing it, she said that there are, you know, that it does get dark. And he's mentioned as well that characters reveal their deepest, darkest secrets. 
Now, Laura didn't reveal anything. She didn't want to give any spoilers. But I just wanted to ask, when you were writing this story and these these things, uh, was there anything at all that you may have felt was maybe too dark or something that you felt, or did you worry about maybe the possible reception or something? As I said, I don't know what was in the game. I'm looking forward to trying it out. But is there anything at all that you thought maybe, oof, I'm not sure what the reception might be or were you just confident going in? I know I was definitely pulled back on stuff because, you know, sometimes people like, like there isn't actual um, abuse or anything like that depicted in the game. I, and I think the, the parts that are hard to deal with are, um, so the game is, is voice acted. Mm. And so when people are in distress and the actors did a really tremendous job of, of that. And I think if the game is hard to take, it's it's hard to take in the way of like seeing someone like really, really sad and actually just crying in front of you um, as opposed to like dark topics like, you know, um, uh, like abuse or anything like that. It's, it's really more um, or violence. There isn't really a lot of violence. It's really like someone being in a very difficult situation and just being very open and honest about it and i think that's what's what's the hard part you know that's the hard mm-hmm. thing to see because it's it's just someone's sort of naked um bear, bearing the you know the darkest parts of of their their thoughts and all. i think it was you know i did i did think of i want to um do I want to go there? And it and it was important to me to go there. In fact, the first therapy session in the game is one of the hardest. Um, and I and I just put it right at the front because I, I wanted people to understand that that like the okay this is this is the type of game you're playing like this is what you're in for. So if you play the first um, therapy session and are like oh my god I don't know if I can do this because like are they all gonna be like this? Um, then you know the other the others kind of let up on the on the the energy of the first one and the others are much more pleasant i would say but i did think about like how much i wanted to to kind of push that aspect and i i it wasn't about you know being sensational or anything like that uh i just wanted to reflect reality honestly and when you know when you're when you're depressed or or feeling um feeling down sometimes those things can really get to you and and if i evoke those very powerfully you know it can it can be a little off-putting to some people and i think that that it some people start playing it and they're just like i can't i can't do this you know um but i would say to them like if you stick with it it'll 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 come back around and i'm doing something deliberate and and you're in good hands so please keep going <laughs> <laughs> right it's, it's interesting how you you mentioned that you put one of the most difficult therapy sessions first and then yes. the other because you usually i imagine it's the other other way around that you build up to something that you, yes uh i just want just wanted to know as a, as a writer your thought process on why we put something so uh, you know one of the most difficult ones first rather than at, at the end was it was I mean, imagine this was deliberate. Was there any main reason from a well, writer's point of view? Yeah, I kind of wanted to to um, 
I, I mean, I just wanted to show that we were going to that right. territory immediately, <laughs> you know, and that it wasn't it wasn't going to be like just this pleasant this pleasant thing um, that that sort of you know that sort of did down these these kinds of things. I, I wanted to be like, no, this is this is going this is going to go to that place. And so in in a way it sort of I don't know, my thought was that like it would help set up the mm. the main character's own kind of thoughts and um uh journey into that place. Because then the arc the arc is really Evelyn's own um you know kind of recovery from her own depression. So seeing this seeing this first uh therapy session with the guy who's like tremendously uh distressed and has no business being talking to an AI therapist like he needs a real therapist I think it's pretty clear um I think it it kind of foreshadows the sort of emotional ten- intensity that hopefully is is built up over the course of the game uh for this character Evelyn so I wanted to yeah I I I wanted to like experiment with that I I don't know if I can say that that was like a successful choice or not, but it is what I did. <laughs> well, I mean, the game has clearly worked for a number of people, as you yeah. mentioned. It, it has won awards, and as I said, um, you know, with, with Laura, she did mention, "Oh, wow, it's, it's you know, she's saying it's really good." <laughs> and yeah, it's. Uh, I think I would it, hope to surprise people with that with that beginning one, you know, right? And and, and just and just let people know that 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 this isn't. You know, this isn't messing around. Like we're going, we're we're going for it. Like that kind oh. of that kind of thing, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's kind of good in a way because I've always been wanting games to deal with real world topics because for ever since games were invented, you know, people have always said, especially video games, that they're for kids. They're mm-hmm. you know that they're. Uh, they're all the same, you know, like people from the outside who don't really understand. But I, I think with something like this, you know, that with these with these topics, I think, you know, yeah, sure, why not? Because films and books and TV series, they're considered art. And yet games still by many people considered to be for kids. But I think the more of these mature stories we tell, I think the more it, games can be taken seriously. <laughs> so I think Definitely. it's... I said I haven't played a game yet, but it's it has I see it has worked for a lot of people, and um, so and actually I'm I'm kind of uh, very curious now. I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very curious to know. <laughs> um, and also I see as well that in one of, one of the features that you you can play Capu Food a solitaire. Mm-hmm, that this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if you could talk about uh, why did you include this particular uh, feature, this particular mini game in the game? Imagine it's uh, to if you have these difficult sessions, it's something else to get your mind off them. Or... Yeah, it it is. I'm. Um, I think there's a couple reasons why that's why that's there. One is that um, Zach enjoys designing solitaire variants. He uh, it's like one of his <laughs> ho- hobby sort of game design things that he likes to do, and so. The last several Zectronics games have had um, original solitaire uh, games in them, uh, all with all with like their own kind of theming and, and rules that like sort of reflect the themes of the game that they're that they're in. And so, 
for this for this game, you know, it's not a typical Zectronics game, but he was like, you know, do should we have a solitaire in there? And I and I thought it would be a great idea to have uh, the solitaire mini game in there and make it a part of the story. And the story is that you know Evelyn herself has installed this game on her phone as a kind of a meditative activity and and like you said like something to kind of calm down so it works for the players and it also works from the story as as like she put you know it's clear why she put that on her phone and has it um yeah it makes sense at least from the outside again (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah and then i was curious because you've done interactive fiction before and this was the company's first visual novel so just curious to just wanted to ask were there any particular reasons why you guys decided to make this in the form of a visual novel over other types of games so for example over interactive fiction or adventure game or even a walking simulator i mean i presume walking simulator wouldn't really work in this case but uh, yeah it was kind of more typical adventure games it was kind of the format of the story. It was um, the, the the story as I conceived it. So I, I first had the idea for it and started writing uh, notes on it before I before we, I decided on the format. Um, I think that there are a few reasons why it's a it's a visual novel. One is that as a story, it's pretty linear. There isn't a lot of um, there isn't really a lot of like branching. There isn't really a lot of like solving any like you definitely don't have to solve anything and the story is quite quite linear you can you, over the course of the game you're never really making huge choices uh until the until the end i kind of didn't want to give give players like kind of like fake stuff you know it was like a, a desire to just like go through the territory uh and and the visual novel, the format of a visual novel seemed like the best way to do the, you know, to accomplish the thing that I wanted to do with this. Um, the other th- nice thing about visual novels is that they have a very, they have an established grammar that can be used kind of in service of what you're what you're trying to do. And I appreciated that. I did. I just didn't, you know, like. There's there's not a lot of like gamey stuff in it. There's not a lot of gameplay. Like I didn't, it didn't seem like the right kind of story for players to be like hunting around for things or like picking up objects and giving them to other people and <laughs> that kind of thing, right? It's just like, it it didn't serve the story to have those kinds of elements in it. Um, so the visual novel is nice because it's it's uh, pretty linear. It works with the with the thematic material, but it's also not just um, like a like a movie it really puts you in evelyn's shoes you know you are playing as her so you're not just like watching a movie about a person being a therapist and and kind of seeing it from third person you're playing as them so that's another aspect that you get from the interactivity that you wouldn't from a purely linear uh, piece of media so and then also i mean this kind of thing you can't make with a really high budget, right? And visual novels are are less expensive to make than like a walking simulator. You know, you build 3D, big 3D environments, and and that just costs more from from like a purely production standpoint. If you have 2D art um, being painted, uh, it's just 
it takes less time and therefore it costs less money. And, and obviously doing this kind of thing, uh, a, a, a small budget is the only way you can make this kind of, this kind of story, at least right now. Right. Yeah, no, that again, all of that makes, makes a lot of sense. And then with, I don't know how closely you work with the voice actors as a writer, because from the trailer, we get a sense of the voice actors. And as you mentioned, one of the most maybe difficult things for, for players is watching the voice or hearing the voice actors, you know, perform. And that's why uh-huh. it might, might affect people as well. So how closely did you work with the voice actors to, to get across what you wanted to write? Yeah, I was uh, I was very lucky for this project. Actually, I was able I was the the director as well, so I was able to um, to direct all the all the performances, uh, which which was great because it's, you know I'm I'm directing my own writing, so there's there's a, a lot of um, stuff where I can just I know exactly how I pictured it, you know, and there's no there's no like kind of disconnect between like what the writer thinks it's going to sound like and then what it does sound like when it comes back from the studio. I was uh, present in all the recording sessions um, remotely, uh, but uh, it was great working with the with the actors. And they, they did a, such a fantastic job, too, really animating these characters and kind of getting into the script. They all were sort of really enthusiastic about it and, and delivered these really amazing performances. So uh, I was very lucky, uh, again, to be able to 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 work with them super closely on on every aspect of it which was really really great yeah cool because you you mentioned you're very lucky because a lot from what i see at least in hollywood that the the writers always get short shrift you know (laughs) (laughs) it's pretty common in games too right the writer writes something and then it just kind of goes off somewhere and then someone else directs the voice actors and, and figures out how it should sound which sometimes can result in like a, a really big disconnect you know, between how the writer thought it might sound and then what it actually does sound like. Right. So if someone else had directed this, it could have been a comedy. So no, that's great that you were able to direct the actors with your own writing, which is relatively rare, I believe. Yeah, it is. Um, but no, that, that's great. And then the, the music as well. It's uh, it says here it's from different uh, well, people as well in Infinity Factory, Shenzhen, Iopus Magnum, and Exopunks. Oh, uh, those so... are the those are the other um, those are the other games that I've done. The oh, music sorry, for. Oh, sorry, yeah. sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Oh, yes, yes. So it's so the yeah, same so composer. I... So yes, and that's so... composer is me. Oh, so, oh yes, because you do music as well. You said. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, Okay, so well, I mean, I usually ask people how do you work with uh, with a composer. So how did you work with yourself <laughs> doing was, the music? <laughs> it was hard, actually. I um, and I wasn't used to making music for people to talk over. You know, like kind of like film scoring sort of style music. Um, I had actually not really done that very much previously, so I kind of had to learn uh, to adapt. Uh, the music so that it would sound you know appropriate for people to talk over because that's a different kind of music than than a music that just plays during a game uh you know when you're just walking around or when when there's no voice acting uh the music fills in more 
but when there's you know if there's scene where people are talking and then there's music underneath that it kind of has to work together with it and not overwhelm uh the dialogue and so i had to pull back a little bit um but it was also great fun writing music for a scene because then i then i could you know i i I knew what the emotional kind of uh content of the scene was and i knew kind of the attitude that i was going for so i was able to write um music specifically for that and i remember my friend telling me that writing the dialogue and directing the voice actors and then also writing the music for it he was like it's like you're just cheating because you can just do (laughs) (laughs) you can you can get kind of what you want at every at every stage um so it was i mean it was a lot of work but i i think it was worthwhile i think it um i'm I'm happy with the with the result right so this is really your game then that you you wrote it you directed it you did the music for it <laughs> yeah in a lot of ways it is i mean uh the art is not uh is not mine uh but everything else almost everything else is uh done by me yeah well and it uh well that's really impressive like the you know like robert rodriguez who does everything in his own movies <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> production designer yeah. mm-hmm. Person in charge of marketing, and <laughs> right? Um, and yeah, and then I I see it's this game. Then it's available on different, uh, so it's available on Steam. I see in GOG and itch.io, and it's also available on Switch. Correct? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, there's a Nintendo Switch version, um, which is nice if you want to play. You know, mm. uh, curled up in bed or on the train or anything like that. If yeah, we because can ride you. Trains. Yeah. <laughs> once, <laughs> once we can leave the house. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, because that seems to be a lot of question from people. Whenever people talk, mention or announce their games, say, "Oh, we're working on this game." There's always somebody who asks, uh, "Will it be on Switch? When will it be on Switch?" Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And... That that's kind of that's like one of the reasons why that's the other platform that it's on. It seemed like if we were going to do any console, we'd do that one. Yeah, and do you know if there are any plans to port it to maybe iOS or Android or anything for or for now? I mean, it's still on a lot, and I think Switch yeah. right now is the main thing. But just yeah, out of Switch curiosity, is the main thing. Um, there, we don't have any plans for for that uh, at the moment. It would be a little bit difficult to kind of figure out the. Um, like the the size of the screen and and things like that you know we uh the switch screen is about as small as you can go to really mm-hmm. keep it the game legible um so we haven't really thought about uh bringing it to to those platforms at the moment right and uh i i think that all the questions I have about Eliza without going into any spoilers. I mean, we could go deeper into the characters and all, but I still haven't played it myself and I do plan to. <laughs> You've definitely sold it to me. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know what that says about me being so curious about these counseling sessions, but um, but no, I'm really, really looking forward to it. Is are Are you work are you able to say if you're working on anything else or are you still working with with eliza with the game or 
is there anything you that you are working on and if so are you able to say anything about it um i'm working on sure i i'm well i'm working on multiple things right now okay uh, still still talking about eliza um working on a couple new things one is a another zactronics game like a more kind of a more typical zactronics style game uh more in line with the stuff that the that the studio has made in the past um and then I, i'm thinking about other things uh future projects that are more narrative uh and more like my my own style of thing that i want to do um it's not necessarily another visual novel but it is something that is kind of narrative based and you know about about things that are uh in the world and uh you know that kind of <laughs> that kind of thing so um that was extremely vague but uh <laughs> yeah i'm working on i'm working on new things and i i hope before long i can start to uh, talk about them well i look forward to hearing what you work on next and where can people find out more about you and about the work you do online um sure yeah my uh so my website has all of my work um it's matthewsagey.com m-a-t-t-h-e-w-s-e-i-j-i.com and then uh my twitter uh account is the same just at matthew sagey um that one has more just kind of jokes and meaningless posts as as one does on twitter but <laughs> you'll also see uh when i when i do work and and when i uh do interviews and stuff i also post it there i think those are the two best ways to uh to learn about my work so and you can find eliza of course by going to either of those accounts you know the link is right there perfect um well i'll definitely be check checking it out and i'll look forward to you know, to seeing if I need counseling afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be calling you again and say, Matthew, can you give me counseling now? <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's really, really, I've been really intrigued and fascinated by the concept ever since I first heard about it. And I think this will be my first proper visual novel because the only other visual novel I've played was the kentucky fried chicken visual novel oh okay yeah which was an interesting you... experience which was i bet yeah it's... if you've played that one i mean i feel like you've you you've gotten sort of a good a good look at what a lot of visual novels are like and and this one is you know it takes that form and and sort of the 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 grammar of that and does something mm. um a little bit different with that Right, yeah. I, I imagine this is probably a little bit more serious than than that. Yeah. <laughs> than the KFC one, which was yeah. um because I was I kept thinking, is this real? Am I actually doing this? And then okay. I'd only intended on playing for a couple of minutes, then I ended up playing the whole game, which took me an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully it was free, but Yeah. Um but yeah, no, definitely I I will play it and then i'll you know we'll keep in we'll get in touch then so is there anything else at all that you'd like to mention before we finish anything that we haven't covered oh i just um not really i guess i'll say you know to to those people who are listening who have played eliza thank you very much uh i i appreciate it um it's really nice to see 
you know, people uh, connect with the story and, and kind of find find something of value in it. Uh, this was definitely a lot of work and, and you know, something that I wasn't sure would, would uh, work out because it's so different and so weird. So um, I really am, I'm grateful for everyone who's, you know, who has played it. Um, yeah. Great. So. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I would encourage people, we reviewed it in a previous episode. Can't remember the exact uh, <laughs> title, but I know that Laura really liked it. So um, we definitely recommend it as well. So, well, thank you so much, Matthew. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Um, I also intend to play your other games, Apology Simulator, to know how to do an apology. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then the writer will do something then as well. We'll um, I'll see what that is, you know, what it's like to be a writer for a video game studio. <laughs> yeah, let me know what you think. Definitely. We'll, we'll definitely keep in touch. So, well, all the best then, Matthew. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that was my interview with Matthew Seiji Burns. I hope you enjoyed it. And again, a huge thank you to Matthew for joining me. It was great to speak with him and really enjoyed the chat about his career and finding out more about Eliza. And if you want to find out more about Matthew's work, you can find out more on his website at matthewsagey.com. And if you want to find out more about Eliza, you can find out more at Zach. Tronics website and all the links will be in the show notes and we also reviewed the game back in episode 51 so you can check that out as well if you want more information on that so that is it for this week I will be back next week with Thomas Bex and Laura Cress as we will be reviewing and talking about the latest adventure games that we have been playing so Until then, take care, everyone. Goodbye. So if you like the Adventure Games podcast, then please subscribe, rate, and review. Wherever you listen to podcasts, please leave a review on iTunes if you can, as every review helps, and reviews will help get the word out, especially for adventure game developers who appear on the podcast. Now, you can also follow me on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at Advent Game Pod. You can follow me on Facebook at Adventure Games Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well. And we're also on Discord at Adventure Games Podcast. So if you are a adventure game developer or adventure game player, you can follow us there. So again, please feel free to retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who you believe may enjoy it and you can also find more information about the podcast on www.adventuregamespodcast.com so until next time thank you